other holy days were, as it were, derived from the Sabbath. And extensions up for the Sabbath was the, the starting point. So this occurred every week. And it reflected, um, it, as, as Dr. Kleinig notes, it reflected even the, the daily sacrifices that were made. Um, this was this was the, the governing rhythm of the life of Israel. But then we also have this yearly rhythm. And it begins up on the top with the Passover. And of course, I mean, you know something about the Passover, at least in that it is, uh, you know, began the Exodus, and um, and then it's it's also at the end of Jesus' life. Jesus comes into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Um, and and it's, uh, you know, for that reason alone, it's a very important thing. Uh, Pastor Rizek wanted to focus on the lesser one, though. He wanted to get a Passover, but this is, I mean, the Passover is, is key. Right? <laughs> I didn't even um, <laughs> Okay, so that's the months one through three. And then 
If you go to the bottom, we, we come on the, the, the end of the first half of the year. Um, the seventh month is also, has, also has these events in it. So first of all, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Acclamation, and obviously he blows some trumpets on that day. Um, and we, we hear about this in the Psalms, Psalms 81, 3. Speaks about blowing, let the, you know, having, the, having the trumpets ring out. Um, and this is a, a beginning to sort of prepare for what's coming in the Feast of Booths. Then we also have the Day of Atonement on the 10th day of the seventh month. And this is another really important individual day. Um, in, the, in the Old Testament times, they would uh, have the, the sacrifice of the atonement and send the scapegoat out into the wilderness. And of course, this seems to fulfillment in Christ as well, who is the, you know, the sacrificial, uh, the, the scapegoat who takes, who takes away the sins of the world. So as in the passage where he was the lamb who was sacrificed here in, in, on the day of the atonement, we see that he's the, 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 the one who takes away the sins of the world. Okay, now that takes us to point number three, the Feast of Booths. This feast ends the festive half of the year, which began with the Passover and now ends in the seventh month of the, of the year. It's uh, days 15 through 22 of that seventh month. Um, and we find out about this feast a little bit more in Leviticus. Um, let's do that. Yeah. Um, just, just one note real quick before we before, uh, jump to the description of the Feast of Booths. You notice um, it's pretty symmetrical, this, this calendar. We have a time which is feasting and then a time which is not harvesting and, and resting. Um, it's pretty symmetrical, but it's not perfectly symmetrical. There's some correspondence, for instance, you see that the eight days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it's seven days and then the, the, the final day. And the same with the Feast of Booths. Um, these things correspond, but they don't line up perfectly. And I think it's interesting to note um, that this, this shows how God governs sort of apart from or, or transcending any sort of natural order which we might derive from the world. Um, so if we looked at the world and said, how are we going to organize our time? We might do it any number of ways. We look at the stars or the, the moon or the sun and our um, you know, natural phenomena, and we might suppose that we had discovered some sort of natural order which was premier or prime. But what God does is he says, I'm the Lord of all of this. Here is the way you should order time. And um, it's orderly, but it doesn't match. It doesn't match up perfectly with what we might expect. Um, if we're going about things in a really rational way. Um, just, a, just a side note as we, as we look at the Feast of Booths. So, let's jump to that second thing. Yeah. 33 to 40. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
states of the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, for seven days, is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation, and you shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy, holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. And then W to 39, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. First day be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and bows of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, and your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So you get the, the main points there? We're going to rest on the first and the last day. And we're going to have branches of trees on the inter intervening days and, uh, and, and uh, be joyful to the Lord. And then we're also going to live in booths, live in tabernacles like the people of Israel did, reminiscent of the time when they were uh, uh, traveling through the wilderness. So uh, that's sort of the general definition of it. Um, there were also sacrifices which were specifically outlined specific sacrifices to be made. Um, we see this in Deuteronomy. It gets even more specific and detailed. Um, but they, the, the, key, the key points to, to keep in mind are the, the branches which they're cutting, um, very specific plants. In fact, you can see, I have a picture in your packet. On the last page, the front of the last page, there is see some, on the, the top of the bottom picture, these palm fronds, which are then bound together on the left with the parts of the other trees, the myrtle and the willow. And then on the right, you have this fruit, this citron. Um, so these are the things, and then that, the middle thing is the, a vessel for carrying this fruit. So, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much later innovation to do, to do things in particular in this way, but these are the plants that they, they were to bear. And then they were also to live in booths. And you can see that, that picture above, um, that's a fresco from a uh, synagogue which was uncovered in eastern Syria. Not too, in the middle of the 20th century it was uncovered, but it's an old synagogue. Actually, the earliest synagogue that's been found in the world is from the third, the end of this construction dated from the third century. Um, and this is a, uh, a picture depicting the, the time as people of Israel dwelt in booths while they were traveling from Egypt. And so uh, you can see the, the, the houses, the booths that they lived in. And then in the middle you have this rock and Moses standing by it and calling forth water from the rock. So this, this scene depicts the, the time that Moses called forth water from the rocks. Um, but it, it shows, gives you a sense of what, uh, of how, they, how the booths were constructed, what, it, you know, what they were thinking about. Um, when, they, when they built their houses, what it looked like for them. Now, with that in mind, um, you, I mean, you heard in Leviticus how God said this will be a, 
there's this theme running through the Old Testament then that the, that the just, the righteous, will dwell in these eternal tents. And in Zechariah we hear that this Feast of Tabernacles is in fact, or Feast of Booths is in fact not just for the people of Israel, but it's for all nations. So, verse 16 of chapter 14 there, then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. Goes on to describe those who don't keep the feast of booths. Okay, any any questions about the feast of booths as an Old Testament festival? Yes. Just a quick question: Are our Jewish neighbors some of them still celebrate this? Right? Yeah. We call it Sukkot. That's right. Which is the, the Hebrew word for book or tent? Okay. Yep. And so, I mean, so you can it's it's a long-standing <coughs> tradition. here, um, which just just sort of give credence to the fact that Christ's life was characterized by this liturgical calendar, this Old Testament liturgical calendar, beginning with the Sabbath, so he went to the Sabbath as we hear, as was his custom, um, or to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom, um, but then he also went up to Jerusalem with his family, for Passover, for the Feast of Booths, and in fact, his, his, in the book of John, his life is sort of bookended by trips to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So, begins in John chapter 2 of the trip, and then in, in John chapter 12, as, is, as we're approaching the second half of John, he's on his way to Jerusalem for that last feast. Um, and then it's also important to note that the, the big events in Christ's life, as, as the second author, John Yehu, points out, the big events in life's Christ, Christ's life, like his crucifixion and his resurrection, take place on in direct conjunction with these Old Testament feasts. So there's no mistaking that Christ is, is doing something important on the, and on the celebrations of Passover. Um, and then also there's no mistaking that the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, uh, fulfilling, fulfilling these Old Testament festivals. So then the, the big question is where does the Feast of Booths fit into the New Testament, page 4? Where is the Feast of Booths in the New Testament? Um, just thinking about the palm branches and, and tax booths, tents, are there, do you have any ideas of where this shows up in the New Testament? Palm Sunday, fantastic. So there, on Palm Sunday, the people, like, now of course this is, this is the wrong time of the year. This is, a, this is a, in the first part of the, the festival season, but what happens Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and they're waving palm branches, and they're singing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This verse from Psalm 118. Uh, and so, we, we, in that sense, we get a, sort of a glimpse, just sort of inadvertently. The people don't know what they're doing. They get caught up in the, in the excitement. But they're pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who is coming in the name of the Lord. Any other New Testament references to Transfiguration that sort of can capture our eye, and I think I left 
the note about them upstairs. But let, let's take a look in our Luke chapter 9. You have your Bible, otherwise I'll just point them out to you. The first, the first note here is that in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, it goes like this. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And it's, it's notable that there's this reference to eight days. Um, in the in, in the other Gospels where the Transfiguration shows up, they say six days, um, which is a, there, there's different ways of sort of measuring intervals of time, but it's notable that there's this interval which corresponds either to the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Feast of, the feast of Booth. There's this time which is um, sacred, which is set apart. So now, on the eighth day, the culmination of that time, they went up to go up on the mountain and then a cloud comes, which is reminiscent of the cloud that comes on the sanctuary when God, when God sits on the, the mercy seat. Um, so we have those things in mind, and then, and then this bizarre statement by Peter. Um, he says, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And you get the sense that what Peter's saying might be, hey, this is actually, this, this situation seems like a good time to celebrate the Feast of Booths, right? I mean, maybe we should, and, and he's pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and fulfilling the Feast of Booths. So the, the thing that they have been looking forward to, the, the messianic celebration of the Feast of Booths, Peter's saying, this is it. Here we are. I'm, I'm seeing this, this glory of Christ that God is speaking about in this way. Now is the time. Which is, I mean, it's, it's a totally reasonable thing to think, but then of course the cloud takes away Moses and Elijah and just left their thing by itself. And so it turns out that it was just sort of a glimpse, just sort of a foretaste. Lingering. Um, but they didn't, they, didn't, uh, they didn't talk about it. They, they got this glimpse of it. So good, yeah. Um, Transfiguration and Palm Sunday are two great, great instances where we see this reflected. There's one that's even more explicit, which is perhaps the most interesting one, I think, in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we actually hear about Jesus' trip to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. And some remarkable things happen. Um, so it begins this way, that Jesus is, the, the, the Feast is coming, and the disciples say, hey, let's go up to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to come. And they go, and then he comes anyways. Um, and he comes by himself. Now, before we talk about it, um, talk about the text, we have to know about two things that happened to the Feast of Booths as time went on. So, the first one was that the, the ceremony sort of expanded. And when they would celebrate the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem, they would have this uh, water libation ceremony. They would pour out water on the altar. And what they would do is they'd form a huge procession from the Pool of Siloam in the south, in the south, I think it's the southeast side of Jerusalem, and they would have this huge procession going up the mount. Maybe those of you who are in Jerusalem can attest to this. They would have this huge procession going up the mount, and then they would pour the water on, on the altar. And then on certain days, in fact, on, on, especially on the last day, they would have this huge festival of lights. Um, the, there's a, a rabbinic text which comments on this. I, I, this is a remarkable uh, description. It's that second long quotation. I'll just read a few parts of it for you. It says, He who has not witnessed the rejoicings at the water drawing has, throughout the whole of his life, witnessed no real rejoicing. At the expiration of the first holiday of the festival, they descended into the women's court, where a great transformation was made. Golden candelabra were placed there with four golden bases at the top of each, and 
four ladders were put to each candelabra on which stood four lads from the rising youth of the priesthood holding jars of oil containing 120 doves with which they replenished each, each basin. The cast off breeches and belts of the priests were torn into shreds for wicks which they lighted. There was not a court in Jerusalem that was not illuminated by the lights of the water drum. So, it, I mean, it's not a it's not a terrible innovation as far as I can see. It's really a great celebration. It's probably I mean, it's without comparison. So, um, the the procession was uh, was a, a, a accompanied by singing and dancing and uh, chanting psalms, and they would get to the top and they would have this incredible ceremony with so much light, just a, an, an incredible amount of light. So now, this is the context for Jesus coming into Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. And he comes into, you know, the, the festival is going on, and he comes in. And on the last day of the feast, John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So there's this, there's this stark juxtaposition. Here there's all this water, which, which corresponds to all the Old Testament imagery of a water flowing from the, the temple, and in, and in Revelation, water coming from the uh, in New Jerusalem. Um, and in Isaiah, we hear about with joy they will draw water from the wells of salvation, from the springs of salvation. Um, and so here they're doing this. They're having this festival, and Jesus stands up and says, you want water? Here it is. Here I am. So he's pointing to himself as the fulfillment of, of even this, this ceremony in the Feast of the Festival of Booths. And then he goes on in John chapter 8, verse 12. Same context. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there all, there's all this light, this blinding light, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so this, I mean, it's with that in mind, it's sort of unmistakable what Jesus is, is pointing to. Jesus is saying that he is the fulfillment of this festival. The salvation that people were hoping for um, in celebrating this festival was found in Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's see what else I have. Now, page five. Thank you. Now, that, that we, we encounter an interesting question, then, what, what do we do with these Old Testament feasts? How does this sort of interact with our lives as Christians today? Um, we celebrate Easter and, um, in conjunction with the time that the Passover is celebrated. We celebrate Pentecost in conjunction with the time that Pentecost was celebrated. What about the Feast of Booths? I mean, the, the Old Testament lays out these three feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths are the three main festivals for people of Israel. Well, as Christians, we're not bound to celebrate any of these. The church has celebrated our great Christological feasts on these days because they correspond to the time that these things happen in Jesus' life. What about the Feast of Booths? But we have uh, a, a somewhat of a correlation between the Feast of Booths and Christmas or Epiphany when Jesus comes into the world. And we get a sense of this really... Uh, an interesting sense of this in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And the word dwelt there, dwelt among us, actually means tabernacled among us. It means that he lived in a tent among us. Um, and so there's, you know, there's this correspondence where um, the people of Israel were living in booths during the Feast of Booths, and now Jesus has come and is living in booths with us. Which points to the fact that the Christian life is really one of pilgrimage. So we can look at it this way. Um, here on earth, now, Pastor Nelson suggested that I play Jesus and John It's a song about I'm a poor wayfaring stranger, right? Is that how it goes? Um, I won't say. Um, but, the, but the idea sticks, right? That here we are, pilgrims. We're looking forward to our final home, our final destination. Turns out Jesus is here with us. He's joined us uh, on, on our pilgrimage as uh, and has even taken on, you know, taken on the, the dwelling that we dwell in while we're here, uh, taking on our flesh for us. It's also important to note that, that the, the Feast of Booths is in fact a feast for pilgrims. So while they're living in sort of rough dwellings, they're feasting all the while. Um, so, I mean, it points to that our lives here are not, um, it's not, it's not, though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we will fear no evil because we are, we are celebrating. Um, we, we have to see the end of the story already. Um, the destination. Let me just read for you. It's always neat to tie together the the references to um, to see, I mean, it, it's helpful to see the unity of the Bible. So all of these things are working together to point us to Christ. And Paul Paul notes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with human hands, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Sorry, I'm feeling like Mark Rubio. Mark Rubio. <laughs> For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not, come, not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit to be So Paul, Paul sees um, the, the tents that we live in in this life as fading away. But you have the, the guarantee of the Spirit. Okay. So then the last point to make um, ties it into our, our um, constant life as Christians coming to the divine service and receiving God's gifts. Um, take a look at the last page. Back to back of the last page. There's going to be a copy of the Psalm Tubes there. That's the song that the angels are singing in Isaiah. When Isaiah is before the throne of God. But then the second half of it continues with this Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Um, which we hear in Psalm 118. And then the benedict is, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we sing this right before the consecration. Right before uh, Jesus comes to us in the bread and wine. Uh, pointing, you know, once again to the fact that here Christ is tabernacling among us. He's dwelling among us giving themselves to us. So that uh, we, just like here, get a glimpse of the fulfillment of the Feast of Booths, which is coming. Um, or the, the, the ultimate, the final fulfillment of it. We get a, we get a glimpse and a foretaste of that every Lord's Day when we celebrate Christ's Supper. Okay. 